Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My guest today is Jennifer Kenning, CEO and co-founder of Align Impact. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. Uh, Jen, tell me a little bit about Align Impact and what you do. So Align Impact is an impact investment advisory firm, and we're really focused on the world working for 7.8 billion people, not at the expense of the planet. And the way we do that is we help families, individuals, foundations, and institutions derive a strategy that's going to impact society, either from an environmental or social perspective, and then use all forms of capital to move that strategy forward. Mm -hmm. so that we can live in the world we want to live in today, 10 years from now, and 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. So who who are your clients typically? Typically, they're people that um, have had extraordinary success, Mm -hmm. um, have more than they actually need um, from a consumption Mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're really focused on a why, a very specific why to them. One thing they want to move the needle on. Um, and they're really driven to do that in a different manner than just traditional philanthropic capital mm-hmm. or traditional investment capital. They're really trying to use new innovative tools, test models, challenge the status quo, um, and really uh, go on a learning journey. They're constant learners, they're innovators, um, and ultimately, I don't love this word, but they are disruptors. I often like to say they're the people that go to a movie or read a great book and they tell everyone about it. Got it. So when you say impact investment, these are investments that are going to make a, an impact, you know, globally outside of their own little world. Yeah. And so it's kind of dual purpose. Think of it as we're trying to generate a financial return that could be zero percent, right? Mm-hmm. We could be just trying to get our money back. So we can repurpose it Mm -hmm. um, or we could be shooting for market rate returns, right? Whatever that market rate return is amongst that asset class. Mm -hmm. And then also, in addition to the return, we're looking for a return back to society from an impact perspective. Reduction in CO2 emission, number of jobs created, number of women we've invested in, a number of BIPOC-led small and medium-sized enterprises that we propelled forward to be able to scale and grow. Those are just some examples. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're really looking for that you're measuring both of those and that you're having additionality. So because of your dollar invested, um, something has happened that without your dollar, it wouldn't have been possible before. Got it. Well, and and you just mentioned something that I wanted to bring up is that you are a woman owned and a woman majority staffed organization, which is something that I'm really passionate about. Tell me about your journey uh, to founding the company in 2014. Yeah, I'd like to say it was serendipitous, but I also believe sometimes there are paths that you don't know are being created until you actually are in that moment. And then you look back and say, oh, that's why all those things occurred for this moment. I also come from a long line of entrepreneurs. 
my great great grandparents were entrepreneurs in the late 1800s and migrated to this country. Um, so I feel like I have that in my DNA. And I I worked in the traditional investment advisory Wall Street space mm-hmm. for the first 13 years of my career. And I always said to myself, if I ever had the opportunity to lead an organization, that I would lead it differently. And I would lead from a place of empathy, um, meeting our clients where they're at, and really building a team where they could bring their whole self to work. Um, and then last, that I would lead as a woman um, from a place that was both masculine and feminism, right? There's oftentimes bosses that I've had before me um, were really good at just operating in a man's world because we're in the finance arena and that's mm-hmm. just how it goes. And so I've really tried to develop myself as a leader um, but from both perspectives. Um, and then lastly, I really look for talented women and I want to put them um, in roles that develop them professionally and personally, that have them thrive, um, that have them be able to have different facets of their career, mm-hmm. and that they're able to be in the front and in the back. So they're be able to push and lead gently and coach their team underneath them, as well as they're really willing to uh, be in the rigors of finance and making the investment recommendations and really understanding the fundamentals from a due diligence perspective, because I believe those leaders are the leaders 10 years from now. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, So when you, you talk a little bit about that first 13 years in your career um, and leading differently than you were led, can you give me an example or two of how a man might've led you that you felt was not effective or was not as effective as it could have been or as you're leading? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually don't even think it's a gender focus, right? I don't even, I think I had both men and women that led this way, but it was more of, I think, like a dogmatic, this is the way we do things, do it this way, it'll lead you here. Mm-hmm. Let's climb the corporate ladder. And I don't I don't often think that we go from A to Z in a straight line. I think there's zigs and zags. Mm-hmm. Um, and life happens. And so um, I think vulnerability is really important. And I think that's often missed um, in a financial services firm and in any firm, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the reasons I focus on vulnerability and empathy is because people come to us um, with an extraordinary amount of wealth um, that are looking for guidance. And they're talking about end of life plans and how do they raise their children and their grandchildren and how much is enough and what are their values? And those are deeply personal conversations that need a sacred safe space to happen. And so you have to build that within your team. So that's how they show up for the yes. client experience as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so have you bootstrapped the company? How did you, you know, did you take any institutional funding? Well, actually, I feel like I've had, the company's had really three evolutions um, in its short seven-year time horizon. Um, although seven years is a long time, I guess, for a private company. Um, I'd say the first few years I had a co-founder, we were strategically aligned, but the way we operated was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and we agreed that it needed to be kind of an independent company uh, two years in. So we agreed to go our separate ways, but still partner in ways that we could partner. Um, that was really eye-opening and we're still really close today. He sits on my investment committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I went out and raised capital, um, a small amount of capital to one demonstrate really two things. One is I wanted to 
um, buy my co-founders out and really um, acknowledge the sweat equity and time and capital they had put into it, mm -hmm. um, as well as giving them some of the upside on the back end and really having them still be part of what we were building. Um, and two is I contemplated self-funding it myself, um, but I'm really trying to move billions and trillions of dollars. And I wanted the market to know that we wanted to get the best investors behind us. Um, and so we raised capital from originally five investors. It's now six. Um, they are all values aligned. They're all clients. They're all focused on the mission of what we're building. Um, it's less about the capital. It's actually more about their strategic partnership. Um, and then I would say now we're moving into a phase of, um, you know, hyper growth um, and doing it one client at a time. And as we have additional revenue, we reinvest that capital um, back into our business with within talent since we're a service business. Mm -hmm. How many full-time employees do you have? Uh, today we have 19. Okay. I would expect I'll have 21 or 22 sometime by the end of the third quarter. Okay. Uh, to put that in perspective, I believe I had eight or nine at the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually don't know all of my colleagues or my uh, team. Uh, I do interview every single candidate. So you do not get a job offer without going through me as the last round. And mine is more cultural fit. Mine is, mm -hmm. can we grow and develop you? And are you going to be a good fit? And are you going to be able to operate in this fast-paced environment? Yeah, very, very smart. Um, how do you how do you find your your clients or do they find you or both? I think it's both. Um, it's more of they find us kind of um it's kind of like they, a client reads a good book or sees a movie and they have that kind of experience mm -hmm. through the strategy phase. And so they refer friends and family and other people in their network. Um, I do a lot of speaking and a lot of educating. I, I actually think first and foremost, I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. um, I just happen to be in the finance arena. And so I think sometimes, especially women um, and next gen, they like to be able to ask any question and not feel judged. Um, and they like to be able to say, I don't actually know what you just said. I don't even know what that means. Could you rewind for a second and walk me through what the technicality of that? Um, and so a lot of times I'm speaking and they'll follow us for a while. I just had this happen a couple of weeks ago. And then they reach back out three years later. And they're like, I heard you speak in Utah in 2018. Um, and I haven't forgotten what you've said. And I'm ready to like dive in with you. Yeah, that, that's really great to hear because, you know, nowadays people think a sales cycle is, hi, let me just send you an email and give you a pitch. Yeah, <laughs> ours, is not ours, can be, yeah ours can be short and ours can be really long. Uh -huh. ours, some cases have been years long. Yeah. I, I actually look at it a little bit differently than the traditional space. A lot of the finance arena is transactional. Mm -hmm. um, this is a relationship business. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to bring on clients that are going to be a great fit for us and we're a great fit for them and that we're ultimately going to serve their children and grandchildren. It may not be me serving those uh, children and grandchildren, right? It'll be the team that succeeds mm -hmm. and carries on. Um, but ultimately we want you to step in as almost as if you're part of the family. And so we really do a good job of vetting on both sides. It's got to be a fit both ways. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's really important. I mean, it's important to have, have, you know, proper expectations, right? So that, you know, because if you don't, somebody's going to end up disappointed, frustrated, angry, you know, fill in the blank with any sort of negative adjective. You Absolutely. Of, right. Um, how'd your background at Aspirant prepare you 
for where you are today as a leader? Yeah. So my background and experience really gave me the fundamentals, right? It I learned everything from tax, estate planning, investments, portfolio, asset allocation, capital market expectation, family planning, governance, uh, philanthropy, et cetera. Um, and I really learned how to serve clients. Um, you know, I could tell you some of the best clients that taught me the most, and this is almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really think I learned the technical side as well as grew into my maturity and experience. Um, and then I started taking on new things. I wasn't scared to go where no one wanted to go. I went into impact there when that was like, I was in a sandbox by myself off to the side and there was no one else in my sandbox. And I really believed in it. And I never imagined leaving there. I was a partner there. Rob is still a mentor of mine. He hired me and helped build that company with him and the partners and became a partner. And mm-hmm. for me, it was, um, I believe that I was ready to like leave the nest in a way. Mm-hmm. I was ready to fail. And if I failed, I felt like I didn't burn any bridges. I could come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at the right time in my life. And so I felt like, why not go out and try something different and like test um, the model? And it's been hard. I mean, the first two years, it was really hard. And then it ebbs and flows. I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit and the entrepreneurial journey. Um, And it's like, are you willing to wake up and live, breathe and eat this and really stand by it? I mean, for me, this is more than just what I'm building. This is, one little piece in an ecosystem. Um, And I really believe that for society to work for everyone, we need this piece of infrastructure to exist. Um, And anything worth doing is usually not a straight path. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, What's the competitive landscape look like in your business and your industry? Yeah. I mean, we, I like, I actually think competition makes you better. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have like exact competition from like, this is our side-by-side competitor. What we do have is we have to compete with large asset managers, banks, right? JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. We have to compete with uh, registered investment advisory firms. So independent wealth management firms, the experience, the advocacies, the um, cap rocks. We also have to compete with the Cambridges and the Mercers and the due diligence firms. And then quite frankly, we're really competing with, um, management consultants and strategic consultants, Mm -hmm. right? I often think we're more in the category of a McKenzie Bain meets Mm -hmm. a Cambridge Mercer because (laughs) we're really doing both those business models. And then we serve clients in the way that a large institution or an independent wealth management firm would serve them. Interesting. Um, what makes you, or why is your way, or where are you better than the competition? Great question. Um, I like to answer things in three. So I would say um, we really meet our clients where they're at. It's relationships. This is not transactional, right? This is why do they care so much about moving the needle on in the environment? And there's some deeply personal thing behind it. Uh, Two is we're willing to innovate and pivot and we're fluid. We're not, we don't have one way of doing things. That's a pro and a con sometimes. 
um, but it allows us to really emphasize custom reporting, custom mandates, uh, scale so that it's easier for them to manage their lives and we're taking hats off that they're wearing that they don't necessarily want to be wearing. Um, and then third, I think um, I'm willing to turn a lot of things upside down um, inside of the financial services industry that I think is a breath of fresh air for investors and clients, mm -hmm. um, as well as employees. Um, and so I think that demonstrates that we don't have to do it just the way it's been done for the last 50 and 60 years that we can tweak some stuff and try some new stuff and we might fail, but let's mm -hmm. fail forward. Let's fail fast. Let's right. fail often. And then let's learn from that and pivot and yeah. it, ideate and move forward. You know, and that's the beautiful thing about innovating, right? To, you know, your point that can be, it can be positive, it can be negative, but if you don't ever uh, take the chance and throw your head over the fence, how will you ever know what the result's going to be? Yeah. So what do you see your clients wasting time and money on? Or what have they wasted time and money on before they meet you? I think a lot of times they have multiple advisors, uh, consultants. Um, they don't really have a quarterback. Mm -hmm. They don't have someone really pulling it together. I think that's one thing. So you can really streamline that and have a central place. You can automate a lot of that so that it comes to life and is real time. And mm -hmm. you can slice and dice it in different ways. I think the second thing is a lot of clients get no a lot because usually something doesn't fall into a box that the traditional firms are trying to put them in and they have to put them in those boxes or those models because that's what scales. Mm -hmm. So they get a no rather than yes and or no, we can't do that, but we can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and then third is really um, genuine empathy, generosity, and humility. Those are core values of our organization. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I laugh often at how many clients will be like, how did I exist before? I love you guys or just more that human element and less mm -hmm. focused on just returns. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's partly we ask them, what are the hats you want to take off? What are the challenges? What keeps you up at night? Um, what are your strengths that we should cater to because it will allow you to make great decisions and what are the things that hold you back? It could be life distractions. It could be caring for your parents, caring for children, uh, it could be terminal cancer. We've seen it all. It could be a divorce. Um, and so knowing your client and asking those questions, and I often say, all oh, our job is to listen remove the roadblocks mm -hmm. and then build them a strategy that gets them from A to Z, but shows them it's going to go like this, it's not going to go straight. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause then they're like, Oh, I already knew this was coming. I knew we were going to, uh, we're going to ideate there. Cause that didn't actually work. Um, and so I think it's a combination of those things. And really it's just asking questions and listening. I think oftentimes people are anticipating what your next question is. Or did I answer the right way rather than did I answer it authentically? Sometimes I say, I don't actually know that answer. Let me go back and look at the technical analysis mm -hmm. and come back to you in a few days. That's actually more refreshing 
than just giving an answer that's half-baked. I agree. I I think it's, you know, so often people just want to give an answer without, you know, to your point, doing the authentic thing was to say, you know, I really don't know. Let me find out and get back to you. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I really believe that it is, you, you win friends and influence people a whole lot more in that doing it that way. For sure. Because it's just, it's just, it's, 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 it's being authentic and that's super important. Um, is there anything about your industry that kind of bugs you? Yeah, there's three things that bug me. <laughs> One is there's more than three, but I'm going to just highlight three. Uh, the first, probably the most important is, I am really frustrated that we're still having this conversation between traditional investing and impact investing. To us, it's one and the same. We are not aiming to sacrifice for returns. We are doing the same due diligence and then some. We are going deeper under the hood. We are looking at our fiduciary obligation from a climate and social perspective um, and really mirroring that into our analysis. That's number one. Number two, the gender and diversity is not great in the yeah. financial services industry. Sure. Um, and I think that's partly the cultures that we build. And I'll give you a good example. And I grapple with it myself. And as you could tell, I have, I think, 15 women or 14 women um, out of 19. Uh, so I have a lot of women on the team. Um, it's really hard to have a child and to come back into the workforce or to manage all the things that you have on your plate. And that doesn't even mean giving birth to a child. It could be, you need to take care of your elderly parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's some kind of caregiving role that has, you have three full-time jobs. Right. Um, and so I just don't think we cater to all the other things that are going on in someone's life and really bringing your whole self to work and the BIPOC community and women are at a disadvantage. Um, and then the third is, You know, it's all about margins, scale, models, acquisitions, and we lose the human element. Mm -hmm. Um, It becomes really transactional rather than um, how are we moving the needle on where we want to get to and what society are we leaving for our children and our grandchildren? And ultimately, are we just kicking the can down the road or are we actually Mm -hmm. solving problems? Mm -hmm. Well, good. Well, that's, I think, a good segue to my next question, which is what's the most outdated advice in your industry? Uh, That's a great question, too. I would say I think a lot of people, I'm going to give you two answers because they kind of work together. Uh, A lot of people believe they have to make a lot of money um, in the first half of their life. And then in the second half or the last third of their life, they're going to figure out how to give it away. Mm -hmm. When in reality, the problems we're trying to solve as society, one, can't wait because we actually just don't have enough time left. Two, need capital now and need more than philanthropic or government aid. They actually need investment capital, private investment capital and public investment capital. And if more people integrated those approaches to doing it throughout their career and through retirement, we would be better off, but we instead focus on let's grow the nest egg so I can retire. And then when I retire, I'll give it away. And the reality is becoming a philanthropist is actually just as hard as being a really great uh, employee, 
a leader, founder, as well as being a good investor. A lot of the same skill sets are used in all three of those examples. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's outdated that the scoreboard is just based on returns um, and there's no other factors factored in. Yeah. Yeah, You've talked a lot about um, the culture uh, you know, within making sure you have a good match between yourself and your clients. Um, can you paint me a picture of who your ideal client really is and what makes them so ideal? Absolutely. Our ideal client, um, I would describe them in three ways. They're really conscious, um, usually about social issues or environmental, or they're starting to see that the two intersect. Mm-hmm. Um, They come with some burning desire or some nagging question they need to answer. Uh, That's number one. Number two uh, is they have some level of complexity. um, And that comes in a whole variety of different ways, right? So they're with complexity comes opportunities to simplify, to quarterback, to streamline, to make their life easier. And then third, um, really two more things. One would be they're willing to take advice and they value the advice. That's one, right? So they're willing to pay for great advice and they value it and they see the value in it. Um, And they give us discretion. They're not trying to micromanage us. They are, I've vetted, I've hired, I'm now allowing them to educate me, take me on a learning journey and execute with me and empowering us to do so rather than micromanaging us. Super important. I always say they got to be a delegator. I look for that when we're looking at an ideal client. Right. Um, Is there a range or a minimum of somebody's net worth where you'll consider taking them on? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. One is I want listeners to really understand that everyone can do this. So you're not excluded if you don't have a large... Uh, investment portfolio. There's lots of tips I could give you on how you can partake in this movement and really move the needle for yourself and society. Um, I like to say that people are usually giving away at least a million dollars a year. So they're pretty um, determined philanthropists. They may not be enjoying it. Um, and they, or they want to invest, you know, anywhere from three to $5 million. So they know they have this investment capital. They have at least a seven to 10 year time horizon. I like to say at least a market cycle Mm -hmm. Um, and they want to really push the needle on it. Um, So those are kind of the ideal client profile. I mean, in terms of wealth, Um, but you can do this for, there are some strategies you can do this for $25. So I don't want, you can do certain innovative stuff in a savings account. Your consumption decisions really matter. I'd say in terms of the upper limit, we're really, um, we don't exclude anyone. And we do have a few clients who are billionaires, mm-hmm. but I would say our sweet spot is, you know, less than about 750 million. And the reason why is because they value our advice, right? They, they don't have a team in-house that can do it. And we're really an extension of their team in their family office. Got it. Um, if somebody was just getting into your industry, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, I would say a couple of things. One is um, figure out what you want to move the needle on and why. If you want to be in the impact space, you should clearly be able to articulate that. 
Two is figure out where your skill set is already, you, you consider yourself a genius or in the genius quadrant and it comes naturally to you and it gives you lots of energy. And then figure out the skills that you want to work on because maybe that's like your next stepping stone. What are the skills you want to still develop? Um, and then my favorite piece of advice is really twofold. One is how close to the impact you want to be. There's moments I would love to be sitting in South Africa or East Africa uh, working with a social enterprise and, you know, small farmer women uh, doing extraordinary things in the hot sun and, you know, growing their crops and trying to figure out if there's going to be a buyer on the other end of that. How do we give them technology to do that um, to times where I'm the intermediary or times I'm creating different products or structures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so figure out how close to the impact you want to be. And then I always say my bonus tip for your listeners is, Figure out who you admire and whose job you want, and then go meet with them, engage with them, figure out why they love doing what they want. What are their challenges? What are the skills they need? Um, And then that gives you really great insight. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Can you, can you uh, give me a story? Just sort of skirted around it a little bit, talked a little bit about it, but tell me a story of, you know, somebody who came to you, obviously without revealing who that is and, and, and what, what the impact is that they were looking to make and, and what came to fruition or what is coming to fruition. Yeah. I mean, I'll use one of my employees because he shares a lot about it. So it's not a secret. He likes to say I'm a great um, boss, but I'm a terrible mentor. <laughs> uh, he was transitioning from one career to the next and he came to me for mentoring advice. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked through his kind of what he's really great at, the things he still hasn't done. Um, and I asked him those questions and his response was, I really want to, I, I want to sit in your seat. And I was like, I don't have a role for you, but I can make a role. And I thought it was really interesting because I was like, well, I want you to sit in my seat someday. Right. And I want you to, I want to have a right hand co-pilot. Um, and so um, it happens a lot. That's one example. The other example I would give you is I often look at um, resumes and people will articulate very well what they want to do and kind of what roles are perfect for them, but they're not getting the callbacks. They're not getting mm-hmm. past a certain round in the interview. And I'll usually spend time with them on what are their keywords that are searching from a keyword function. Let's switch it to these three keywords and they get a lot more traction. Yeah. Are they being vulnerable in the interview process or is it really, really scripted? Because the reality is we spend most of our time at work, even though it's virtual today, mm-hmm. we're still spending an enormous time. I think that's why you have stats between 40 and 70% of people are dissatisfied mm-hmm. in their current work. It's because they haven't yet reflected on what do I value? What do I want to focus on? What's going to bring me energy in life? And how do I want to give back? And so if you can start to reflect on that and weave that into your resume and into your interviewing process, then you come to light as a candidate and you start to differentiate yourself from the competitors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have offices in L.A.? Is your whole team based out there? Yeah, we have. We're not all based out there. So a couple of things there. Um, I, we have 14 or 15 people in Los Angeles. So in a physical office, mm-hmm. we were returning between July and September. Okay, we're kind good. of ebb and flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been 13 people in that office this summer at one point. So they do want to go to the office. Um, we also have, uh, two soon to be three or four in New York. So we have a physical office there as right. well. 
Great. Um, and then we have a few people in Denver. Um, we also have someone in Chicago. So we span mm-hmm. all four time zones. I actually believe in building a virtual team. I started building a virtual team um, back in 2017, 18, mm-hmm. um, well before COVID, thank God, um, because I believe we should hire the best talent yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, and we should have them work and live where they thrive. Mm-hmm. And not everyone thrives in New York City or Los Angeles. Right. And not everyone thrives in the mountains. And some right. people need an Asheville or a slower pace of life. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we should overlook them from a talent perspective. I, listen, I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's I, I think given the pandemic, more and more companies are starting to realize that. And I mean, I, I've got clients that certainly are going down that road. You know, where, yeah. where do we look at? Well, you know, you've got to, if you want the best talent, you have to, you have to be willing to look outside your, you know, your, your, your neighborhood, so to speak. Yeah. And, and then create new ways for them to bond with their yes. teammates. We do uh, regular team meetings mm-hmm. and our team meetings are more interaction and less informational. I can yeah. give you that through an email. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really people, I think, look forward to them. And then. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing my whole team together next week, mainly outside, um, yep. really to have the bonding. We're not doing a lot yep. of technical stuff. We're doing mm-hmm. team building, getting to know your colleagues, yep. a day in the life. What is it like to be a client right. so that they really have the experience? Again, I'm going to refer back to family um, because I do think your work is an extension of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and who you go to work with every day is an extension of your friends and family. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think it's, it's funny that you say that a, a lot of people think that you can separate business from personal. Um, and one of my coaches, you you know, some time ago had said to me, you know, listen, you don't have business problems. You have personal problems that show up in your business. <laughs> so <laughs> <Totally>. You can't <laughs> really separate those things. But the, the, the problem is, is that so, so often those things are living in a blind spot. You don't actually see them or know that they're there right. until you work with somebody that can pull them out and, you know, get a distinction around that, which is really great. That's um, very true if you're an entrepreneur. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and you know, and, and the other thing is I I think people have have really started to see the great value and the importance of actually being together and breaking bread. Right. For sure. And even, you know, I, I say to people, listen, even if you only bring everybody together once a quarter, that's okay. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or even every six months, but, you know, I'd like to see it done every three months mm-hmm. if it makes sense or every four months. So, so that we can actually get together and bond and, and sit around and just, you know, shoot the shit and have cocktails yeah. and just get to know each other in a, in an intimate setting that is just not really the same thing. Right? Exactly. It's just really, different. I totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, what's your day-to-day look like as a leader, Jen? Uh, it's nonstop. Um, I do a couple of things for myself that I think keep me grounded. Um, so I do spend at least an hour every day developing myself as a leader and as a personal growth and development. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an avid meditator Mm -hmm. and I love soul cycle. Um, there's a reason I love soul cycle specifically it's community based, not competition, right. To be the music. I get lost in it. I look at it as, uh, a dance party on bike, I get to work out and I get to go to church or synagogue all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, you know, most of my day is there, it's structured. 
right? Because I have to be structured, but I also definitely find ways to be there for the team, to jump on, put fires out, to tackle things that were unexpected. Um, some of my board members are like, you need two hours of blank space in your calendar every day. Um, and so I think for me, structure routine works really well. Um, and then what most people probably wouldn't, would be surprised by is I actually get a lot of sleep. Um, I'm somebody that needs a lot of sleep. Yeah. So I try to get, you know, between six and a half and eight hours every night, I'm usually in bed for more than seven, right? I may not be asleep that whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super important because as an entrepreneur, we could run 24 yeah. seven and sacrifice sleep. But I do think it's such a big piece of mm-hmm. uh, wellness. Um, and then, you know, two other things that I think are hugely valuable to me as a leader. Um, I use new technology from Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown. And I essentially tune out the world. Mm-hmm. It allows me to do things for Jen, allows me to recharge. It allows mm-hmm. me to observe Shabbat. Um, and I'm really, it's my sacred time. And I think it yeah. gives me like a mini vacation every week. Mm-hmm. And then my last is, is that I do take a week off every quarter. Good. Um, I try to really unplug. I think it sets the example for my team mm-hmm. um, that it's okay to unplug and I come back recharged or I can get through the quarter because I know I have that week to really uh, go deep, re-ground mm-hmm. myself, check out, um, catch up, et cetera. So it's really interesting to hear that you observe Shabbat. So would you call yourself an observant Jew? Well, I'm studying at my bat mitzvah at 42. So, um, and I've been, as an adult, I've been, that's very hard because I'm not a language person. I'm a numbers person, as you know. Um, yes, I would say there's a lot of Jewish rituals. My mother is Jewish. My father was, is Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, so I grew up kind of in both. Yeah. I believe religion, we should all be educated on all the seven major religions of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's, pieces of Judaism that I observe that I find a tremendous amount of value and solace in Mm -hmm. um, that I bring to my professional and personal world. Well, and I think, you know, for those that, that um, observe Shabbat, uh, you know, for those that are listening that don't, you know, don't know it or have just maybe seen somebody else observe it to your point, there's no technology, right? Um, you know, you, you might set, depending on how observant you are, you know, set timers for your lights. Yep. I don't take it to that. Extreme, you don't take it to that I don't extreme, have, okay. yep. I'm not listening to music on my phone. Right. I'm not listening to podcasts. I'm not talking to anyone. Yeah, being I'm not yourself. watching TV. Yeah. Um, I've actually started not doing laundry and all that. I used to do that on Saturday mornings. I like to do it then mm-hmm. started doing it on Friday, just because one of my rabbis that I studied with was like, once you take your practice to the next level, the point of Shabbat and the Sabbath is mm-hmm. to rest. Yes. And to recharge. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it, it's your point about how busy founders are in general, it, it, or entrepreneurs are. It is, you know, people don't always understand the value of taking time for yourself. I, I mean, I do the same. I meditate. You know, my horses are super important to me. I usually this time of year, uh, while we still have light by 7 a.m., um, uh, I, I get out one morning a week and I write early. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my goal is yeah. to be back at, the, back at my desk around 9, 9.30 at the latest. But for me, that's, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more inspiring 
um, nourishing and healing for me to get out on one of my horses, uh, get in the saddle, you know, by seven fifteen when it's just the sun's up, it's beautiful. You know, there may be cattle around, you know, all sorts of things when I'm out riding. And it's, it's to me, it's like, you know, it's my temple, right? It's my synagogue. Yeah, it's quiet going. Yes. And it's quiet. Yes. You know, nobody, nobody's out except animal, except wildlife and livestock. <laughs> so love yeah. that. Yeah, it's great. Um, so if, if, if I were listening to this, if somebody's listening to this and, and is, is saying, God, this, this company is super cool. I, I'd love to maybe work for them. What should they do? Um, you can go on uh, info at a line if you want to look at careers or become a client mm-hmm. or just get more information. You can also go um, on alignimpact.com and you can see a media page. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to see kind of articles we've written and podcasts and other things we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can follow us on LinkedIn. We tend sure. to post uh, every week. And so in terms of careers, I would say... Um, two things. One is whatever roles are open are usually there. You can always send an email um, and express interest. You can follow us on our uh, newsletter. And then um, usually people that are interviewing have followed us for a while and they're really well versed in the company and the culture and Mm -hmm. what we stand for. And um, if we don't have a spot, someone on my team, I'm sure is happy to make introductions and find you another home in the impact space um, because we are ecosystem builders. Right. Um, and, and I wanted to get back to one thing that I, that I did want sure. to ask you about. Um, you have a board, your, your board is six people, including yourself. Um, and two thirds are men. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about that. Cause you've got, you know, of course, by and large, a woman, woman run company. Yep. Um, so I would say a couple things. One is they all bring something very different and very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the original board we've added. We just added another different perspective. Um, and so I feel like our investment committee, which is 50, 50, 50 percent mm-hmm. women and 50 percent men is actually way more important to be 50-50 with diversity because we're making investment decisions on where capital is allocated. Mm -hmm. At the board level, they're giving me, I report to the board and they're giving me more um, high level strategic growth, where to focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And they come from really five different industries that impact our um, kind of what we do day in and day out. Um, and so each of their perspectives and each of their personalities um, really have a different complementing to someone else on the board, um, but a different viewpoint. Um, and I think, you know, in the future, I think it'll be more 50-50. Um, people will roll off. There's plenty of women that I know that would be happy to serve on our board. Um, it's probably something I'll take on next year in terms of, is it time to roll a few people off and roll a few people on? Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to say, you know, a lot of small companies don't normally have a formal board. We have a formal board that really governs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really encourage that. I look for that in companies we make investments in. And so if you don't have a board at all, I rec- I would say if you're listening and you own a company, have an advisory board and then let that advisory board step into a formal board. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely sensitive to uh, the gender and diversity factor on our board. Yeah, that's I, I mean, that's that's really important. You know, a lot of people, 
don't always put their money where their mouth is, right? Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, so 16 full-time employees, uh, you know, where do you see yourself if you could say, you know, three to five years from now, what's your company going to look like size-wise financially? Yeah. So we're 19. Um, oh, we, sorry. it's all good. It's one and the same, right? Uh, people say you don't have children. I'm like, I got 19 employees, <laughs> two dogs. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I actually don't know that num- the number of employees drives better results or more efficiency. Mm-hmm. I actually think the right people in the right seats is where you get to yeah. where you start to hum. Um, I really think we are well prepared to double the side, not in terms of headcount, mm-hmm. but just in the number of families, individuals, and institutions we can serve over the next few years. Um, I think we'll be at 25 to 30 employees. Um, those are all very strategic. I feel like the team is really well built and we're going to remove hats so people don't have to wear as many of them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take people off of things that suck their energy and give them more yeah. of what gives them great energy. Yeah. And we're going to fill those gaps with resources and automation and mm-hmm. continuing to refine the system. I often say, we're building the plane still in flight. I think that's actually more exciting to me. I think I would be bored just, you know, uh, would you like water or coffee? <laughs> it was just, you know, uh, flying at altitude and like even in no turbulence. Um, so yeah, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. But ultimately at the end of the day, we want to educate people that this is a viable option, that there's real investment solutions that can solve the problems and then we want to continue to put our money where our mouth is and to move and take action. Um, and if we continue to do that, I really believe the next three to five years are critical, critical from a social perspective, absolutely critical from an environmental perspective. The more work we do in the next three to five years, the better off we will be as a society in 10. Um, and ultimately, we're just trying to move more capital and transform the financial services industry. So this is just how we do business. I hope in three to five years, this is just how everyone invests. And there's no need for a separate align. Align just sits inside a thing and it has a unique um, kind of ingredients and special sauce. But it's it's not that special because we've we're all doing it this way. Well, with that, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't close out an interview any better than that. So Jennifer Kenning, uh, CEO and co-founder of Align Impact, it's really been a pleasure. Um, it, you know, as I said, one of my favorite things is women, you know, wonderful, authentic women leaders. And boy, you really uh, you really fit the bill for that. So thank you so much for your time and generosity today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I love supporting other women as well. And wish you and your listeners nothing but the best. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com 
or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.